Good morning. It's great to see all of you today. Hope you're having a good day. Hope you got good plans to treat somebody nice. You know who I'm talking about. Got to treat mom nice. That's right. You know, it's funny. I, my mom's been with the Lord now, I, I guess, over 10 years. But there's still some things that she said to me as a kid growing up that helped formed and shaped who I am. So if you don't like who I am, you just blame my mother because she did it all and she did an amazing job. It's great to see you and um, if I could get one of the stronger guys to, uh, look at that Sean over there. Dude, look at you. Could you bring up that podium for me? I appreciate that. I really put you on the spot. Wait until he sees how heavy it is. Right about now, he's like, oh crap. This thing is wicked heavy. <laughs> yeah, a little music for that guy, huh? There you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, this guy builds boats for a living, so I knew he could do it. Thank you so much, Sean. Great. Oh, anytime you can say Sean in church and you're a Bostonian, it's a good day. It's a good day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it is good to see you. Let me just tell you how today's message came about. You, you may not know it, but this, is, this church is like, when it comes to prayer, is wicked awesome. There is a prayer team. I mean, there are ladies that meet here, guys that meet here. There's a prayer team, Stokes and Ben and all the other folks that are a part of the prayer team. We're not doing things just by chance here at Crosstown. We're not just kind of making it up as we go. Rather, God is really inspiring what takes place here. And we all know that we need that inspiration in our, in our culture, in our time. Well, one of the things that happened was I was, you know, it was Friday morning. That's my day off. It's supposed to be my day off. And I was taking a walk down a country road. Yeah, I'm that guy. And I was just kind of walking down the country road. And all of a sudden, I was just, sermons all done. And, and it was like, um, I've been looking at this issue of fault lines and estrangements and relationships. So that took me into the realm of psychology. And I wanted to make sure I had my psychology right. I didn't, didn't want Alan coming up saying, listen, dude, you're just making this, this stuff up. I, I wanted to make sure I had all of it right. And, and then, you know what God said to me while I was walking is like, um, uh, I didn't tell you to preach that book. And he's like, he, he just told me, so I had to go back to church on Friday, but here's the thing, I, no lie, this is not a lie, this is not a, a hyperbole, this is not a creative communication thing, within three steps, I had five things that I was supposed to talk to you about, and they all got, I mean, I work all week laboring, trying to come up with something clever, something good, something smart. Those are my three criteria for life. Something clever, something good. I mean, now you see what the problem is. So I, I'm working really hard on this, and all of a sudden, in just a matter of three steps, give me three steps, mister, give me three steps. Does anybody remember that song? Yeah. Within three steps. <laughs> Why are you shaking your head? You like that song. I know you do. And you drink that stuff. I know you do. <laughs> no, so I, within three steps, I knew exactly what I was supposed to talk about. So I say all of that to put together. This, this is all my mother's fault. I say that all that together is that today is intentional for God. So I don't care what brought you here. God knew you were going to be here. And there's an intentionality in what it's going to be spoken to us. So Fault Lines is a timely series dedicated to the restoration of relationships. Anybody got any of those that need to be restored? And I think all of us are, are kind of dumbfounded on the level of fragmentation that has occurred in families, in marriages. 27% of your families, 
20% of our families represented here today, Christian or secular, doesn't matter, are in a state of, of estrangement. They're fragmented at some point. Somebody here, one out of four of us, is in a state of a fragmented relationship with somebody that was important to us. And the, hit, the scripture is loaded with this kind of fault line, fractured relationships. And the moment mankind tries to attempt to live together in community, the fault lines get drawn right away. So we learned last week that the Bible is not a book on how it should be done because there's a lot of bad being done in the Bible. I mean, man, the, the Jewish people were the first godfathers of, of the world. I mean, they were doing in people left and right, and there was a lot of bad stuff going on. Not all of it was good. But rather, the Bible is a testament of how it has been done and how it all can be undone. And that's what we're looking for today. Is we're looking for the hope to undo some of the junk that we have done to ourselves or it's been done in our relationships. And those geological fault lines perfectly illustrate what has happened to our relationships. Fault line, uh, people deciding that this is who I am, this is what they are, those people. We talked about it, we got into it last week. If this is your first time here, if you want to hear a lot of bad words spoken in church, you need to listen to last week's sermon. And, and just like, but it, it's all about fault lines. It's all about people groups and marriages and families deciding that there's this fault playing. You know, this is, you did this to me kind of mentality and that we have just decided that certain kinds of people are that person and that we've, we're now in this state of tension in relationship with each other. And we've been calling this estrangement. And it's not a word that we use a lot, but I, 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 think it's a, I think it's a great word. And it means this. It means to become a stranger again. That's, that's really just boiling it down and just getting to it. It's, it's when you are, have been in a relationship and all of a sudden, because of tension, because of conflict, because of unresolved issues, that you become a stranger again. I didn't realize it. And, you know, we always, my generation tends to blame all the younger people for all this going wrong in the world, which is absolutely ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. Don't you guys believe it for a second? It's not the younger generation. But apparently my generation is now divorcing at an alarming rate. I didn't realize it, but uh, they call it like gray-haired divorces. It's like apparently it's skyrocketing that that all the 50s, 60s, and 70-year-olds want a new pizzazz in their life, and so they're just ending their relationships and going out to get something new in their lives. And it's like, so it, it's just, it's becoming a stranger all over again. And maybe, I don't mean to make light of this, but maybe you're in a marriage that's just like that. You're just two people who are going through the motions, and you're strangers, and you're settling for being strangers again. Society is satisfied with estrangements and canceled relationships. I, I was watching the news, and I don't know why I do. It's not the news. I was watching a media outlet. Let's be very clear. They're media outlets. They're not news. And I don't care what side of the, uh, the, the aisle you're on. But Elon Musk was going to be on SNL last night. I didn't get a chance to watch to see if it was any good. But it was funny how Apple News came out and said that he was a narcissist and that it was a representation of what the 1% wealthy are like in the United States. And I'm like, huh, when did Apple get into uh, 
sociology. I mean, it's like, oh, so, you, so it's okay if we pick a certain people group and villainize them and tell them that they're the worst people, as long as the, the rest of us are all agreeing on. And it was amazing to me that Apple would stoop to such a commentary, and I'm not saying they were wrong. He may be a narcissist, but you know what? Has that worked for us yet, for us pointing out what's wrong with other people? Has that like kind of got a lot of traction in America and will make a better country if we start pointing out what we think is wrong with another person? But yet we're part of this culture that is just becoming unraveled, saying things like, I'm done, or you're dead to me. That we come to the end of the line and there's no way forward. Well, this is the part that God really spoke to me in those three steps. Estrangement happened in the garden. The expelling of Adam and Eve from the garden is a picture of estrangement. I don't need to read five other books on this. But in the garden, we find the picture of estrangement. And, and it seemed to be the end of the line, didn't it? I mean, when you begin to look at it, it's like Adam and Eve uh, violate the relationship. And that's usually how estrangement happens. Somebody, there's an expectation that's not met or something. And then God actually gets involved and said, listen, you can't stay here anymore. You have violated the way that we're living here. It's like, you can't stay here anymore. But the difference between God and society is that it was not the end of the line for God and that relationship with Adam and Eve. Matter of fact, while I was praying and while worship was going on, God made very clear to me, he said, don't confuse me and, and the way you handle relationships. Because when I expelled Adam and Eve out of the garden, this blew me away. Guess who else left the garden? God. God went after them. God stayed with them. It's like the context of the original relationship was violated. Okay, we're not doing this real well. This, this family blew up. This marriage, whatever it is, this really stinks. And this could not be allowed any longer. We had to stop this. And God had to say, listen, I got to draw a line. I got to have boundaries and relationships. Got to have boundaries. It's like, okay, time, this can't go on any longer. I mean, we have to have those hard conversations sometimes in relationships. And so all of a sudden, they're kicked out of the garden. And, and, but guess who packs up his stuff and follows them? God. See, it, even from the first estrangement, we find out it doesn't have to be the end of the story for any of us and for any of our relationships. See, we all have the nature of Adam, the power of estrangement. I mean, we all do. There isn't a particular people group or gender that has estrangement more than others. And the biblical story is very clear. It is running through our veins. Every single one of us that are here today, we have the power of estrangement. And I will even go even further, that the power of estrangement is our default setting. It's how it comes from the factory, that we are, have a proclivity towards conflict. And you say, well, I'm not a very conflict, conflicted person. Uh, I'm not into estrangement. I'm not racist, or I'm not a hate person, or I'm not this. And it's like, let me just say, you don't have to stick a knife in somebody's back. If you've ever gossiped at some, about somebody, you might have the endemic nature. If you've ever been jealous of somebody, you have the endemic nature. Some people are a little bit more gutsy, and they'll club you over the head 
most of us just say it in small circles and, and reveal it to a smaller crowd. But we need to realize right up, right up front, see, because right now uh, America is, is sorting through, we're trying to find the bad gene. We're trying to find it in, in white males. We're trying to find it in females, in blacks, or in whites. Or we're, we're looking for the super, the super society. Who doesn't have the state? We're trying to get rid of the patriarchy or the uh, matriarchy or whatever it is, and we're, we're going after it all. And what we're going to find out after we've reduced all this, we've had it on the burner, and we turned the burner up, and we've kind of reduced it, and we're going to come down, and it's like, oh, my gosh. What are we left with? Humanity. It's the way we are. We're that way when we're five. We're that way when we're 13. We're that way when we're married. We're that way when we're single. We're that way as whites or blacks or Asians. We're, we're this way. You know, we're hunting for the enemy. And, and then here's the good news. It's right here. It, it came from, the, it's got a default setting. I, you know, I used to build computers for fun and, and for a living, matter of fact. It didn't make a very good living doing it. But, you know, in the computers on the motherboard, there's these things called dip switches. And it determines the amount of voltage that runs around from the processor and things like that and how fast your RAM's going to run. We all have dip switches on us. <laughs> and it's all defaulted, you know, um, jealous, yep. Uh, and, and all of our switches may be different, but they all have this edemic nature flowing through us. Let me just, let me show you how long it, it takes for estrangement to manifest itself after Adam and Eve. Genesis 4.3. In the course of time, Cain, Adam's, one of Adam and Eve's sons, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the first Born, uh, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So we got two brothers showing up. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. I don't know exactly why, but I'm sure there were some instructions that were given that were not being followed. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said, and this is what God's going to be talking to us today. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? And the voice of, the, of, your, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, I don't want to get caught up here in some genetic or genealogical conversation about how many genes, you know, all, how the genes and all that stuff worked and where did Cain get his wife from, though I do have a theory about it. And if, you, that, if that's a rub for you about where he got his wife, please let me know. I would love to sit down and have coffee and talk to you about it because I think I have a pretty good theory on it. But rather, the point here today is that it didn't take long. I mean, we got the first kids. We got the first couple. They kind of get, get into it with God because there was nobody else to get into it. See, that's funny. 
I could put you in a garden. I could put you on, on Turks and Caicos. I always get that wrong. I always switch the T and the C. I could put you in the best paradise in the world. You're going to find something to complain about. You know, the orange juice wasn't squeezed right. What do they call those, uh, Brandy? Formosas? I'm still coming after you because, you, what's it called? Mimosas. Oh, no. The other ones are termites. That's right. Golly, I need to get out there more, huh? So, uh, but, but I could put you anywhere. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and it's like, well, who can we have a riff with? Who, who can we have a conflict with? Who could we estrange ourselves with today? Oh, let's do God. And so then we got them out of the garden. Now we've got two kids, two young guys, young adults, fighting over their offering to God. It's like, are you really going to fight over that? It was like the Protestants and the, the um, Catholics fighting in Ireland. It's like, wait a minute, you're going to divide up into religious groups on, based upon the same Christ, and you're going to kill each other. We're really going to do this. Yeah, that's why. Because that's what humans do. It's what we do. Estrangement is in our nature. Um, and it didn't take much for it to happen either. That's the crazy thing. That it, it doesn't take long to happen, and it doesn't take much Sometimes it's just a look. I saw you at church, but you didn't say anything to me. Are we okay? It's like, what? Just because they didn't talk to you at church, you think there's something wrong? It happens real quick. You didn't send me a text on Mother's Day or on Father's Day. You know, or you didn't like me on Facebook. You know, I put that picture up there, and you really, it's like, no, um, it happens so easily in relationships. Estrangement is in our nature. It crouches at the door. So why is this important? Because of fault lines. Uh, I think some of us don't see ourselves at fault in estrangement. This is, this is a big deal because this is a message about humility. I don't care how sexy you are. I don't care how educated you are. I don't care how pretty you are. I don't care what you drive. I don't care. There is nothing that makes you immune to being at fault. Most of us just don't, don't think so. I mean, it's, most of us lead with the first thought, look what they did to me. That's usually the first thing that comes into our, and, I'm, and this happens in, in, the, in a family, or it happened yesterday at my house. You know, um, Ireland, my little uh, almost two-year-old, was drinking a cup of water, and she spilled a cup of water on the table, and, and um, you know, water was just going everywhere. And my first response wasn't, oh, she's so cute. She's got, she's motor skill challenge. She just can't get her hand around that cup, you know? And the water's everywhere, and I just got a new camera lens, and so it was on the table. Okay, so you see where this is starting going. It's like, hey, wait, whoa, whoa, she spilled water. She spilled water. I let everybody know she spilled water. And then I start fussing at everybody because they're not moving fast enough. Okay, Any, anybody else in a J-hole here? Okay, and you say, well, J-hole, you're not allowed to say that in church. You didn't hear it anywhere except for at this church. So it can be said at church. I made it up, so you can't villainize it, all right? 
So I don't know if that works with God, but it sure sounds like it's good for you. But anybody here? I mean, here I am. I'm angry at a two-year-old. She hasn't even contributed to Social Security yet. And I'm ready to deny her her benefits. You know, it's, well, why, why did I, and I, believe me, I know you think that's bad. I apologize to everybody that was there, okay? Because we're going to learn at the end of this that your default nature has an, a new option to it. See, right now, if you don't have a relationship with God through Christ and have the Holy Spirit in your life, you can't help but be conflicted. I don't care what your Enneagram is. Well, I'm the one, we're not, we're not conflicted. We all have this in us. We just ma- manifest it differently. For me, conflict comes out loud and fast. Maybe you're the passive aggressive kind. Maybe you're not gonna talk to your husband or have sex for a whole week or a month. Just, and, and you say, well, you're not like Pastor Paul. You're not angry. You're not allowed to. It's like, no, you got your own methodologies of way to get even or to just remain in a state of estrangement with a person. See, we, we have this idea that it's always the other person's fault. We became so fixed on our narratives that it became impossible for us to assess the facts of the situation and to adopt new perspectives in the light of the circumstances. Anybody here other than me committed to your narrative? You know, a lot of us, we have a narrative. This is how the argument happened. And that's what I'm referring to when I'm talking about narratives. This is how the offense occurred. I, this is how I remember it. This is what you said. This is what I said. And we, we, what we do is we stick to our narratives and the relationship ends. You know, we reinforce our narrative about how bad you were to me. It's like, well, good, is that working for you? We dig up more history, more facts, and all this other stuff against each other. You know, I do this with my wife all the time. I mean, I've become like this amazing historian with my wife. She'll, she'll say something to me, and, and it'll be like, wait a minute, honey. Now, the other day, when we were having this conversation, you used this word. This word. Now, this word means, if we're using words, because that's all we got, you know, do you see how this argument's going to go? It's going bad to worse. But so many of us are committed to our narrative. You know what's so beautiful? Is when you give a relationship the grace gift to rewrite the narrative. I'm not talking about falsify the facts. I'm talking about starting a new story with a person not being a stranger all over again. Allowing the narrative to just, okay, this is how you remember it, this is how I remember it. The question is, is are we going any further with this relationship? We sometimes think that our relationships are better or different or estrangement proof. You know, now that I've been married to Susan, Susan, you know, some of you think Susan's the most amazing woman on the earth. Okay? Okay? She's not. Okay? And then you're like, well, you're in trouble when you get home. She's like, no, I'm not going to be in trouble when I get home. She's got it too. She's got the edemic nature also. It flows through her. Baby Ireland and all my little cute little grandkids, they all got it. And it's better off if we realize. Now, let me put this in cultural center. 
Whites don't just have it. Blacks have it. Asians have it. Hispanics have it. Oh, can I just say it? Ladies, this is going to give me a lot of trouble. But you know how you hate the patriarchy or you've been told to hate the patriarchy? Let's flip it all upside down. A matriarchy with a bad spirit will be just as bad as a misogynist, chauvinist patriarchy. It's like, well, if women were in charge, I'm like, oh, no, no, let me just tell you. We'll give you a good 100-year run at it, 1,500 years, whatever, how long you need. And what we're going to prove is that no matter who's in charge without compassion, love, and truth of God, it's still going to turn out like crap. It's going to still be, and here's the biblical word, fallen. There's nobody in this room that has not been tainted by the power of estrangement. So let's stop pointing out who done it and who did it. Let's start writing a new narrative based upon the word of God. See, God follows Adam and Eve out of the garden. Why? It's like, okay, that was a good story. And yeah, you know, we'll bring that story up once in a while only just to remind you that you're capable of this. But let's start a new story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's like, wow, a new narrative. We call it the, the, the good news. We call it the New Testament. No, we're all loaded with sources that can, um, that are just landmines of uh, estrangement possibilities. The past, we all got them. The groundwork for estrangement can be established early in a person's life. Uh, disruptions of the family or not having a family, a history of harsh parenting, emotional or physical abuse, neglect, sexual abuse, Parental favoritism, sibling conflict. All this runs right through every one of us. Betrayal and rejection in friendships. Then there's the legacy of divorce. 50% of us are in that legacy of divorce or have been through it or contributed to it. Some sort of estrangement scenario that has occurred because of div divorce and the effect that it's have on children. See, it's... It's with us, estrangement. We've been dealing with this for a long time. The loss of contact with one parent or hostility between former spouses can weaken relationships. I mean, here I am when my grandkids do things in Florida and they do this amazing things, like they just did this mock trial. They did a court scene and everything and my, my uh, grandson Christopher was one of the lawyers and, and it was like really big league stuff. They had a judge and a jury and they had to present a case and he's like 13 and 14 years of age and, and, and they all had to dress up and there were rules about it. And I wanted to go to that. But you know why I couldn't go to that? Because my ex-wife was going to be there. Um, and it's like, well, wait a minute, aren't you over that? Sort of. Okay, if you've never had the gift of an ex-wife or an ex-husband, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Okay? And I, bottom line, she probably doesn't want, I know she doesn't want to see me. There's no probably about it. She doesn't care if I got a new shirt for Mother's Day. She does not want to see me. So we have to navigate the hostility. We have to navigate the estrangement. It, but it happens to every single one of us. How about the problematic in-law? Anybody, don't raise your hand, but anybody have one of those? Yeah, 
a problematic, I hope that's not her sitting next to you, is it? There you go. <laughs> oh, just swing by Bojangles, you'll be eating alone, you know. <laughs> no, but, or step-parenting. A lot of us have had step-parents in our life, or have had been a step-parent for a teenager that didn't want you to be their mother or to be their dad. About money and inheritance, does that cause any problems? 90% of all wills, 90% of all wills go to probate court. Because what happens is that when mom and dad are out of the picture and money's on the table, families fight. Why do they do that? They're bad people. It's, it's in their nature. You know, my, my dad left the house to my brother, Anthony. And uh, Anthony's a good man, very good man. I love Anthony. And I didn't give a rip who my dad lift, left the house to. It's, it was his house and he could leave. But you know what? When things were not defined, it left this, left this undefined moment for estrangement to come in, for hate to come in. And, things, and, and I, I really believe that's not happened to my family, but it, it does happen to families. 90% of families will, will contest a court over money, over borrowing Borrowing or lending. If you're lending money to a family member, you might as well just at the bottom of it. And by the way, six months later, we're going to be estranged because it's, it's probably going to happen. Jealousies of social status and ownership. Elon Musk, I don't know if he's a narcissist. He's probably loving life. He's got a lot of stuff, a lot of cool stuff, a cyber truck. I mean, who wouldn't love life with a cyber truck? Um, but... You know, most of us would be just jealous because we don't have a cyber truck. How about unmet expectations? Family expectations. I thought they were going to do this. Marriages of un unmet expectations. Wow. I can, don't even raise your hand on this because this, I know that this is what goes on. We all have, especially the way that we date, we're, we're, we date so passionately. If you guys, I noticed there's kids in here, so I'm going to keep it on up and up a little bit. We, uh, it's like, well, when you said J-hole, you kind of blew it. But it's like, but we date so passionately, so you think that's the way it's going to be. And all of a sudden, three years into the marriage, he's not even looking your way anymore. It's like, whoa, what is that a possibility for? Estrangement. And we have expectations of marriage that, that just don't happen. Um, when relatives violate norms, proper behavior that we expect out of them. When siblings, when an older parent is coming along and siblings are supposed to share the work of taking care of an ailing parent and, and one of the siblings doesn't help in that. I know I just stepped in a lot of people's life right there. When they're not helping, guess what that produces? Estrangement. Churches, unmet expectations. I thought the pastor was going to shake my hand outside. I thought somebody was going to visit me at the hospital. I thought, you know, that this church would be, can I just say, I didn't think this, I didn't think this church would have estrangement in it. <laughs> Where did you think you were going? We wouldn't have hate and jealousy and all those other components wouldn't be part of the humans in this building. And all of a sudden we find out that there's some ugliness at Crosstown. It's like you're going to go to another church. I'm telling you, 
They're there. They're everywhere. Everywhere we are, the problem is. Then there's the separation that occurs because of value and lifestyle differences, disapproval of somebody's core values or um, estrangement over same-sex relationships, religious differences, or adopting alternative lifestyles. Or I've heard of grandparents rejecting grandkids because they had tattoos. It's like, what? Then there's, and we'll talk about this more, we'll talk about race and cultural differences. And these differences in cultural expression can lead to biases and prejudice that bring about distrust and inequality and injustice. And we've all witnessed that. So, this is what God wants you to know, is that relationships are a minefield of estrangements waiting to happen, and if we don't walk through them with humbleness, realizing our weaknesses, we are going to fail. Adam is our father too. And even though this series can't address every unique relationship, every scenario, like, well, Paul, what would you do in this situation? Well, what would you do with this? Or what if they did this to me? It's like, I can't define all the unique relationships here, but I'll tell you what's not unique. Every one of you, and me too, have Adam as a father. Now, if you want to think of him as a genetic father, geological, I mean, a, a genealogical father, or just a kind of a, the idea of Adam, I don't care where you rest on that. But we, got, we all have it flowing through our veins. We all have the power of estrangement every single day. So here's a great start, start for you. Boy, even I noticed that. That's really a Bostonian. Here's a real great start for you and it starts with you. We all have a predilection towards conflict. Everybody, we all do. We have a predilection towards it. And, and you know who I really, I'm a little angry at right now? I'm, this is stupid, it's like you're angry. There's some people in here, you're mild and meek, and you're perceived as a gentle person, and you'll, get a, you'll, get, you'll be able to walk outside, it's like, well, he doesn't have this problem, he's too quiet or she's too quiet. It's like, you know what? And people like me and Chris McLean, we get blamed because we're like hot-blooded Irishmen and we wear our feelings right on our face. We can't even hide it. And that the passive-aggressive person will walk through looking like a saint and us over here who are boiling over, you know, kicking and screaming will get blamed for being conflicted. I'm here to tell you, I know you got it too. I know you got it in you. I know we all have it in us to hate. We all have it in us uh, to be prejudiced. We all have it in us to be conflicted. Second, we all contribute to the problem in ways we don't even know. And the sooner we realize that, it's so important that we realize I could, be, I could be contributing to a problem in a way that I don't even know about it. Third, we should not be satisfied with the status quo. We should not cancel anybody. We should not be satisfied with the status quo. We need to hear the words of God to, to Cain. 
Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So today, following the example of what God said to Cain, search your heart for the things motivating you. Are you doing well? That's what God says. Are you thinking rightly about Abel? Are you thinking rightly about blacks? Are you thinking rightly about whites? Are you thinking rightly about men? Are you thinking rightly about women? Are you thinking rightly about Asians? Are you thinking rightly about your husband? Are you thinking rightly about your wife? I mean, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, King, hold on. Let's slow down. Are you, are you thinking this through? I love it. He's, he challenges him to like, whoa, I know. I know you're reacting here. I know you're angry. It's like, but do you know why you're angry? <laughs> Most of us don't even know why we're angry. We just yell or we just passively walk through. Ask the Holy Spirit for conviction. Psalm 139, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When was the last time you prayed that prayer when an argument with your spouse? God, search me. You know, not God, please talk to my stupid husband. It's like, no, God, search me. See if I'm just not getting why I'm angry or why we're disagreeing. Second thing is this. Realize that sin is near and ready to pounce. Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end is the way to death. Realize God tries to tell Cain, he's like, dude, this thing is crouching at the door. That sin is ready. You're ready to say the worst thing out of your mind. You're ready to, to respond the wrong way. Relationships are subject to entropy. They decay when they're not maintained. Third thing is this, and I think it's the most important thing that, that God said to me in those three steps. It's what God said to Cain. Remember when he said, Sin is crouching at the door, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule it. You must rule your responses. You cannot control other people's responses. You can kick them off Facebook, you can kick them off Twitter, you can kick them out of their workplace and all that stuff, but God's saying sin is crouching out the door and you must rule over it. Some of us aren't ruling our emotions or our reactions. I mean, God tells me, it's like, you know, you're not allowed to talk to Susan that way. Well, that's how I feel. Well, tough. Get over it. Rule it. You're not allowed to talk to your wife that way. You're not allowed to talk to your husband. You're not allowed to categorically eliminate a people group or a gender. You're not allowed to do that. And God says to Cain, he's like, dude, you need to rule over this. This is your responsibility. 
Your response to people is your place of allowing Christ to rule in your lives. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That is probably the hardest verse I've ever heard in the Bible. Because, wait a minute, it didn't say do not be angry with people. Because that's what we think. That being angry at somebody is a sin. No, it doesn't say that. It says be angry. There are some things that are wrong that need to be challenged. But there is this line when it becomes sin. That anger turns into something else. And I'll tell you what, you do not find that fine line unless you're ruling over your responses. Next thing is seek reconnection with expedience. Luke 12, 58, Jesus said, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with them on the way. How long are we going to, uh, they walk out of the house, how long are we gonna let it go? Well, I'll, I'll call them in a week and see how they're doing. Second law of thermodynamics is gonna tell you, it's gonna be worse than if you deal, if you reach out right now. Paul said in Ephesians 4.26, he said, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Wow, that's how quick that we're supposed to respond. This does not mean that you solve the problem. I, I remember having, a, when we were in, in the middle of the upheaval of, of, of racial focus and, and all that, and, and I remember it was like, wow, we're in the middle of this thing, and, and people are scared to look at each other, and people are scared to talk to each other, and it's like, and I remember, I remember being in that Publix, and, and there was this black gentleman, and I remember going up to him, and I, I, I'm like, I said, listen, I know there's a lot of wrong with our country, um, but I just want to let you, I have no intention of ever harming you, ever. And he, I remember him pulling his mask down and just smiling at me and saying, thank you. It's like, well, that was kind of bold to you, or that was kind of, I don't know, you could say, and that could have not gone well. But you know what? <laughs> I'm not letting it go on. I'm going to be expedient. It's like, no, we all don't hate you. And I know you all don't hate us. But we're being told to act like that. And according to the gospel, we're told, and according to the scripture, God follows Adam and Eve out of the garden. Wow, how soon was God trying to fix the problem between Adam and Eve and him? Hmm. A prophecy said, and he will bruise, talking about Satan, that Christ would bruise the head of Satan. It's like already in the garden we have God looking, okay, we got a problem. How long should we take before we fix this problem? Um, how about now? How about now? I mean, it was like how long should it take before I apologize to my my daughters and my wife were fussing at them because of spilt water on the table. How long should I stay mad? You know? I don't, what, is, what is the going number for anger? Well, the biblical number is resolve it right now. And here's the great point you need to realize is that this doesn't mean you solve the problem. All you're doing is reassuring the relationship. And that's what I did with this guy at Publix. 
He's like, I don't know what the fix is. I know there's a lot of stuff here and we got to do a lot of stuff, but I just want to let you know that while we're figuring it out, as much as my part, I want to live at peace with you. I want to live at peace with you. Sometimes in a marriage, you're not going to figure it all out. There's psyche involved. There's the past involved. There's divorce involved in the past. There's, there's, oh, there's all kinds of stuff involved. But we need to be expedient into, to affirm the relationship. And then here's the last thing, and I know I've gone way too long today, and it's this. Don't believe the idea that this is just how it's going to be. This mentality lets us settle for much less. This mentality of, enables avoidance. This mentality strengthens disappointment. This in, mentality paves the road for permanent estrangement. Letting it remain buried under the surface will not make it go away. That's where fault lines happen, under the surface. So as we go to the table of Christ, and remember, as we're just going to the table of Christ, this is God stepping into, you've, into your endemic nature, your, your problem areas, and God's saying, hey, don't go far. No, no, no. It's like, no, it's like come to the table of Christ. Come to this place of restoration. Remember, even though God predicted death through estrangement, he also provided the path and the hope for restoration. Even though we are made in the likeness of the first Adam, the, the Adam of estrangement, remember we are invited into relationship with the second Adam, the Christ, the one who makes all things new. And the idea that this is just the way it's going to be really is to reject the second, second Adam. And it's to believe in the first Adam more. Ephesians 2.13 Now in Christ you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's God's plan. God is not satisfied with the status quo of Cain and Abel. Abel's blood cries out to God and it screams estrangement. But Christ's blood also cries out to him and it says, forgiven. Blood will always be in play as long as humanity. But God wants us to go to the second Adam, because here's what happens. You know those toggle switches, those dip switches on the back? Before Christ, you have no choice but to, to have conflict in your life. But after Christ, through the power of the Spirit, you now have the ability to say no to estrangement. I don't have to be just a raging, crazy Irishman. I can be something more through the Spirit of God that rose Christ from the dead and the blood of Christ that cries out, forgiven. Father, as we come to your table, we are invited to the place of being set free from estrangement. You followed Adam and Eve right out of the garden, right to the Last Supper. 
today, Lord God, you have followed us through our lives and, and you invite us to the table of Christ where the hostility can all end. And there, through your spirit, we can receive the power to put the end to hostility in our lives and in our culture. Praise you, Lord. Let me invite you to the table of Christ.